Have you wondered about value-based care, where we're going, what does it look like when we get there, or even the rise of consumerism among patients? Listen to today's episode and your questions will be answered. Hello from sunny Austin, Texas, and welcome to the Healthcare Soothsayer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Clipper, and yes, I'm a nurse. I have worked for more than 30 years as a nurse, chief nurse executive, innovation strategist, and speaker. I have taken the message of Nursing Innovation International and look forward to continuing this message to transform health. This podcast will bring you thought leaders and ideas that you may not have otherwise heard from. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Healthcare Soothsayers. Our guest today is Stephen Cutberth, Head of Marketing and Brand Strategy at Point Health. Stephen, I'm so excited to be talking to you. Thanks for spending time with us today. I am excited to be here, and uh, I'm normally the host of a different podcast, so it's fun to be the guest, Bonnie. I, I look forward to this. Absolutely. And this is a table flip on you because you actually had me on your show. So I'm excited now to be asking the questions. I know. Hopefully I was nice to you and, uh, you know, you don't, you don't go too hard on me, but no, I'm, I'm really excited. No, I'm going to totally reciprocate. All right, Stephen. <laughs> so you are amazingly knowledgeable about what's going on in value-based care and patient experience and consumerism. Can you kind of help us understand where we are at this point in time in the value-based care journey and what's, what's going on with patients uh, viewing their own experiences from a consumer lens? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Um, Dr. Elizabeth Heisberg wrote a book on value-based care delivery probably close to 20 years ago at this point. And, you know, we are continuing, I think, to, to, to kind of push that, that movement forward. And I, I'd say while there's been quite a bit of positive momentum and positive change, there's a long way to go. I think the fee-for-service entrenched healthcare model isn't necessarily budging because there are some you know, monetary and economic reasons for that because a lot of folks honestly make quite a bit of money off the current model. So, so I think while you know, movement is occurring in value-based care, I think there is a long way to go. I think the, 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 the you know, we have to continue to push this, this ball forward. Um, and, and I will say on, on a positive note, I am excited about some of the, you know, price transparency um, rules that have been put in place and uh, recent announcement from the Biden administration um, actually essentially saying that they are going to continue that push and continue to move forward with, with price transparency, which, which will, I think, lead to you know, increased healthcare consumerism on the behalf of patients, as well as an increase in, in opportunities to, to, to further the value-based care movement. So still a lot of work to do, but, but I think, you know, progress has been made and, and I'm excited about some of these recent developments. So that executive order is literally four days old, maybe five yes. days old at this point. Can you uh, talk a little bit about what's in there and what we might see from a patient perspective? Absolutely. And the entire order, you can obviously go and you know, read, read through on the on the uh, White House site. But at a high level, what they really said is it's, it's, a, it's an order um, pushing competition in, in the U.S. economy. And so there's a number of elements that are tied to that. But in particular, there are a few that relate to healthcare. And the one that I'm you know, really most, most passionate about uh, relates to the price transparency movement. 
uh, and the 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 fact that they are going to you know there was a, there was some concern honestly whether or not the work that had been done to push price transparency would be halted or shifted in the changing administrations and different viewpoints. Um, and ultimately what, what came out was uh, that that would, would be supported. And so what they're doing is hospitals will have to continue to publish price, their prices. Uh, I believe it's the top 300 most shoppable procedures. And the insurance companies over the next two years will have to publish their negotiated rates as well. So they're essentially forcing you know, multiple uh, entities to share that information with the hopes that that will drive more you know, competition and allow consumers to uh, shop for care, make more educated decisions, um, and hopefully drive down, drive down some of the costs that, that exist. And the, the, the challenge, I guess, is that that information isn't always easily digestible, as probably your listeners know. And anyone who's been a patient before knows um, that information is, is it's very difficult to understand. And so I think a big piece that uh, you know we're trying to address, I think, has to be addressed, is making that information in in a format that the average patient can actually use to make decisions. And so I think that's a big challenge that you know has to be addressed. And um, it's it's a big challenge because, as you know, healthcare is confusing, um, and and it can be a challenge to understand what care is and, and what you need and, and how to, you know, compare apples to apples when it comes to things like price and, and outcomes. Well, and it, and it feels like price transparency, while welcome, it's still murky and it's two mm-hmm. years away from becoming much clearer. Yet there's still these just insane stories of, of bills or potential bills I'm part of a couple user groups, and yesterday someone in, in a user group paste, uh, posted that they were actually um, they their husband needs a cancer-related surgery, and they were presented with an out-of-pocket estimate. They included a screenshot was thirty-seven thousand dollars. So they are now trying to decide if they can have the surgery, how they're going to pay for this, or maybe do they go for another country. Or can they crowdsource it to be able to afford it? So I guess price transparency is one thing, but are we going to get to the point that we shouldn't be seeing $37,000 bills for care that we need? And that's somebody who has insurance, right? I mean, that's yes. Like this is yes. their insurance company telling them that this is what they're going to have to owe. And I don't know about you, but I don't have an extra 30 something grand in my bank account that I'm, you know, just want to drop on, on, my healthcare when I'm already paying a monthly premium that's probably risen 10% over the prior year's rate. It's just wrong. You know, these kind of things, when I hear stories like that, that it floors me. And, and, you know, Bonnie, we could share thousands of stories of patients that we've worked with in our patient, some of our patient advocacy that are in the same position. And I mean, it's just, that should not be the case in America today that someone has to make a decision about them or their loved ones that, could you know significantly affect their lives and 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 their longevity? I mean their their quality of life, um, and it's a financial decision. I mean, that's that's wrong. I, I call it what it is. It, that should not be the case. And unfortunately, some people are stuck in that situation, and they do have to decide: Do I go to another country? Do I not get care? Do I mortgage my house? Do I declare bankruptcy? I mean, you know, it, it just those things make me mad. And if if your readers or if your listeners want to go a little deeper on the topic. I don't know if you're familiar with Marty McCary, but he's got a great book on this called The Price We Pay. And he's he's done quite a bit with some of his podcasts and things 
Um, he's a, a, a doctor at, at Johns Hopkins, but they, you know, they literally, what they do is they will go to the court hearings and they will testify for patients who are being sued by hospitals because they can't afford the care that is, you know, they took their daughter to the ER because they fell and hurt themselves. And, and then they get stuck in a position where they have to decide, do I declare bankruptcy or not? So, so yeah, that's a long answer to say, no, I, you know, we're not where we need to be. Um, price transparency is not a, it's not a fix all, right? I don't think it's going to fix everything. Absolutely. I would never say that, but I do think that information should be available. Um, and if nothing else, I want to see someone write a story about that patient and, and shame these organizations that are putting people in those positions so that they will change their ways and, and, you know, ideally will be able to drive down the cost of care and ultimately help patients find care that is quality and is affordable. Yeah, and I think that that's such a, a good point. I actually shared something in LinkedIn about two weeks ago, and it listed a variety of healthcare providers and the total amount of money that they were suing patients for and going after is kind of that debt collection. So it just feels as though it's a disconnect as these um, organizations. I, I understand that in our country there is a cost to care, but it's almost yeah. the it's almost antithetical to the mission of many of these organizations. Absolutely agree. And then you know that that hits home for me. I, I am a, a person of faith, and a lot of these organizations, hospitals come out of the faith community, and it it bothers me sometimes when I see the mission statement and then I see what was done under that mission statement to a patient. And we, we, we see this all the time where something as simple as many hospitals uh, are, are required to offer some form of charity care. And in some cases we've seen, they essentially hide that from patients so that the patient doesn't actually know that they, they could have applied for charity care. And in many cases, we're able to help a patient know that actually you do qualify based on your income and the number of people in your family, and you're able to get that bill written off. Um, you know, not everyone's bad. I don't want to, I don't want to villainize the entire hospital world because I have plenty of friends who work in those places and do great work. And I love hospitals based on how they've treated my family and, you know, the care that we've received. But I definitely think there are, there are issues like that that have to be addressed, uh, in, in, in our system. So how do you think we start to get at that? Might there be a better way to prepare leaders from all sectors of the healthcare industry, from the provider side, the payer side, the hospital side? Are there ways that we really can get together and work on these things from a paradigm shift or a, a change perspective? Absolutely. I, I think it starts in a number of places. I think, um, you know, I think employers have a lot of power. I think I think employers have to make their voice is heard and, and take a stand on this and say, you know, are, are oftentimes um, paying the payers in, in the insurer model. Um, you know, I think, I think, I think everyone has a role to play, whether that be a hospital CEO, whether that be a, an executive at a health insurance company, uh, a, a doctor who's providing care, who wants to learn more, a direct primary care doctor who, who is, you know, offering a service like this, you, 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 nurses who are working directly with patients and are looking to better understand the system. Um, one of the things that I did that was really valuable to me was I actually enrolled in a, a master's program at the University of Texas. It was a joint program between the Dell Med School and the McComb School of Business, and it's called the Value Institute for Health and Care, and they have a master's of science in healthcare transformation. Um, and essentially, they do what we're talking about. They bring together all of these different people, uh, and you spend a year together, and you know you learn from each other, and you you begin to understand that you know, even I, I, one of my classmates actually was the CFO of a large uh, children's hospital. 
and he and I will go back and forth on LinkedIn sometimes um, because he doesn't always agree with what I share. And, and, and we talk about it though, and we have a relationship and I'm able to understand his perspective and that he doesn't really want to be seen as the bad guy in this either. And he wants to help the, the kids, you know, ha have, have the care they need. So I say that to say, I really found that, that program valuable because it did bring together the different players in this healthcare ecosystem that we all live in. Um, and it forced us to talk and, 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 it, and it viewed all of it through the lens of value. Um, and I, I just loved it. Uh, and our executive director is a woman uh, named Dr. Elizabeth Heisberg, um, who I think I mentioned with some of the value-based care work. Uh, and, and she's just done an awesome job. And then, and then another woman, Alice Andrews, um, is the director as well. And then, and then Scott Wallace. And the three of them just brought a ton of, a ton of knowledge and relationships to this. And um, you know, I would encourage anyone listening, if you're interested in learning more about the system in a deeper level and how we can transform care, in, in looking into some of the stuff that they're doing at the Value uh, Institute at the University of Texas. So the, I love the, so, the sound of that. And, and it feels almost as though there's the opportunity for us to bake concepts and training education like this into our um, programs there where we educate nurses and physicians and, mm -hmm. you know, people that are going to be CFOs and CEOs and COOs and, and whether that's part of undergrad programs, graduate programs, certificate, certification, it just feels like there's so much opportunity out there to really create this. Totally agree. And, and that's one of the cool things about Del Med School in that it's a newer, uh, you know, institution. Um, I think, I think it was the first tier one university to create a med school in the last 50 years or something like that. So they, 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 you know, it was a group that need, didn't have a med school at, on campus. They built it and they took a very different approach and they're willing to try things differently. They're, you know, recruiting different kinds of students. They're bringing in different voices. Um, Clay Johnston has done a wonderful job there. I, some listeners may know he actually just announced that he's, he's moving on as the dean of the, the med school. Uh, but his leadership, I think, has just been wonderful. And what, what I love is they are bringing the med students in. So in my class, my cohort, we were the first, we were the guinea pigs for the, the program. Um, we had, oh, I don't know, 20-ish med students who participated in the year-long program. So all of those med students are now going to go on and become you know, medical providers um, with the knowledge that, that we all gain together. So I would love to see that become a model where no matter what degree you're pursuing, whether it's an RN or a PA or an MD or a DO, that you um, have an element of that and that, that lens brought into the program so that when you're going in, you have some of that context and, and, and you've, you've already kind of begun to understand the different, different viewpoints within, within the system that we all work in. Yeah, I think that would be fantastic. So Stephen, let's, um, let's shift gears a little bit and think about the patient side of the equation here. What we're seeing a shift, right? We're seeing a shift into, um, some people don't like the term of consumerism, but clearly that that's kind of a direction that we've been leaning for a while. And it feels as though we're leaning more into that. What can we expect to see as we view patients and patients shop care at, like consumers? Yeah, it's definitely a movement that's happening. And again, as you said, some people like it, some people don't, and that's okay. I, I tend to look upon it favorably, and I think it's a good thing. I, I want to see more educated and engaged healthcare consumers who are active in their decisions and in their care. And 
it, it's I think you're seeing it happen across the board, whether you look at something like GoodRx or Row or Hims or there's a ton of, of, of kind of digital health and newer companies that are coming out that tend to be more consumer fo fo uh, facing versus, you know, B2B. Um, and they're going directly to the consumers and saying, hey, we can help you with this. Um, here's how. And, and they do a great job on the experience, which, you know, let's be honest, most hospitals and health systems and, and health plans and insurance companies don't do a great job on the on the on the experience side. Um, and so they're really I think I think what we're seeing is these these companies are moving in and they're kind of pushing the models and they're forcing maybe the incumbents to rethink how they're doing things, which excites me. And then you get companies like Oscar Health, you know, that, that are that are I mean, for all intents and purposes, they are they're a health plan but they're approaching it very differently. They're building out you know, systems and applications and support and direct primary care doctors. And they're really approaching this in a different way that says, you know, we need to put the patient first. We need to make sure we're helping them find the right care for them at the right price. We need to make sure that their needs are met um, and that, that you know, we're not just forcing them into this box that kind of the traditional healthcare system has done. So, so those things excite me. Um, if I can take a second to, I'll mention, the company that I work with is called Point Health, and our goal really is to make healthcare easier to find, easier to understand, and easier to afford. Um, and 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 I think we you know fall kind of firmly in this in this world where we are trying to help pull together information, uh, whether it be pricing or outcomes data or or what have you, uh, to allow patients to to essentially compare what's out there, compare you know prices when available, compare information, um, so that they can easily uh, make a decision in terms of the care that they need. And obviously you can't do that at all times, if, you know, if it's an emergency situation, but if it's not, if it's a, an acute condition, uh, you know, there, there are opportunities to, to shop for care. We actually, I'll share one example. Um, we had a patient, I'll, I'll share one example. I'll cut that out. I'll share one example. We had a patient who uh, came in and actually they needed to have a rotator cuff surgery. And when they spoke with their, uh, their, the carrier, their, their health plan, they said to go to the local hospital. And that was a, the price there was $68,000. Uh, and the plan, the plan paid out $3,000 toward, toward the patient. Uh, so that meant that the patient was going to be out of pocket the remainder. So they got a cash pay discount, which dropped that price down to 34 K. So that, you know, that's a lot better, right? That still means that the patient was going to be out 31 K. We worked with them. Our advocates were able to do some shopping with them. We found a surgery center that offered the procedure at 8K. So that person went from having to be out of pocket, potentially 65K, down to maybe 31K, down to five. Now, 5K is still a lot of money, but I mean, that's a huge difference compared to what they saw before. So, you know, that's just one example. We could talk about colonoscopies, we could talk about MRIs, we could talk about ultrasounds, you name it. I mean, my wife even went through this with an ultrasound, same situation. Um, there are different prices. And as I think most people are, are coming to know, quality and cost are not correlated. Um, and so what we have to do is we have to help patients have the information they need to make those educated decisions. So can anyone come to Point Health? Do you have to be referred there? How can someone get your counsel and expertise if they're just the average Joe patient? It's a great question. Um, initially, we have a, a B2B model and I, I would love it. I would love it if I could just, you know, send this to all of my friends and say, use this, we can help. Um, we're not there yet. I think, I think long-term we would love to be able to help, you know, individual consumers on a, on a one-off basis. But for now, the way that we work is within the existing system. And so we partner with various entities 
that could be a, a health plan, that could be a, a discount plan, that could be a health sharing organization, that could be a self-insured employer, really any group that offers coverage for healthcare to members. Um, we, we work with them to provide access to our, to our service. So, so, so in the short term, that's how we, you know, get our, our mobile app, as well as our patient advocates for healthcare navigation and bill negotiation, we get them to, to the patients that we work with. Um, hopefully down the road as we grow and, and, and I think honestly, things continue to shift toward a consumer model, we'll be able to provide that to, to additional individuals outside of, outside of just the group setting. Um, but for now that's, that's how it works. So essentially if there is, you know, someone who is, is managing a, a plan or, or, or through an employer or, or whatever the TPA, whatever that may be, third party administrator, uh, we can work directly with them to, to provide their members access to our, to our services. And can any plan reach out to you or any employer reach out to you? And, you know, certainly you guys have some of those backroom negotiations where there's probably a per member per month or a something mm -hmm. kind of a, of a fee, but it sounds like at the end of the day, it could really be beneficial for them as an employer as well. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, as we said earlier, employers play a large role in healthcare. Um, and in the end, I think in the current system, they're one of the parties that are most most motivated to to drive change because they're seeing, you know, this continued increase in in premiums and outlays, and it's becoming a larger and larger expense on on their financial statements. So they are often incentivized to make that change. And so so we we love to work with with any group that we can to help offer this kind of a service. And the, you know, additionally, I think the health plans oftentimes the value that they see in this are we're able to actually provide care to their members. And so sometimes, you know, with some of the larger health plans that we do work with currently, um, they were kind of like an extended customer service as well. So when a member, you know, calls in and says, hey, I have this issue, they can say, oh, okay, let me transfer you to our patient advocates at Point Health. And that call is sent over and we have a patient advocate waiting to talk to them and help walk them through. And, you know, honestly, if you read our, read our reviews uh, on Google, more than anything, people just want to feel cared for. They want to feel, they want to have a person that talks to them and tries to help them. Um, and then and then more often than not, you know, we're, we actually are able to help them, whether that's before they've had the surgery and gotten the large bill um, or after, and, and we can help them deal with that and negotiate that bill down. So um, yeah, that's that's how we work. And, you know, I, I just, I honestly, I love I love hearing the patient stories. I love seeing the reviews that come in um, and, and just seeing how we are able to help individuals. Um, which is which is great. So yeah, that's how we work, and that's 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 kind of what we do. And you know, I love it because I feel like we are we are making a difference in, in in patients' lives. Absolutely. Well, in in all honesty, it feels like you guys are sort of filling one of the gaps that many 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 years used to exist. Right? You used to be able to call your HR department with questions, and they would actually talk to you, and then refer you to the insurance company that would actually talk to you. And now those conversations feel like they're very short snippets. They're not always very pleasant, perhaps. So having someone to actually converse with that can um, listen to your concerns, your fears, educate you, answer your questions, advocate for you, there's a lot of power in that, particularly because in the healthcare system that we have right now, it still is very tethered to employment. So perhaps in a future model and a different model where we begin to decouple those pieces, it might look different, but that's a very, very long runway for that to occur. 
Absolutely. And I think you and I have probably talked about this in other in past conversations, but yeah, even the fact that employers are so entrenched in healthcare is, is a really unique and I think maybe a uniquely American thing uh, in how and how that came about. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation for another time. But but as you know, that is the model that exists right now. I think there is certainly a responsibility there for employers to make sure that they're uh, providing the right resources to their to their to their employees so that they can get the care they need and and yeah I think in an increasingly maybe unpersonal world if that's the right word to use it's nice to be able to put a little bit of the, of the personal side back in and uh, you know last thing I'll say on that too is our, our vision really is that we can provide our mobile application to members as a first point of touch and so they can go in there and compare prices and uh, you know, get information. You can also shop for for medication prices as well through a partnership we have with RX Saver, who was just acquired by GoodRx. Um, but if they when, when they get to the point where they maybe need more care, immediately hit a button on the app and call into our advocates and you know have a conversation with the advocate. So we want to be able to provide both, right? There are some people who prefer to pull out the phone and use the app, and some people who prefer to prefer to call and have that conversation. And so ultimately, we want to be able to be there for both of them. Well, and I love that because as consumers, um, you know, the the general chunk, perhaps majority of us are going to have to take the lead and be responsible for that care and accessing that care. And of course, there are still many that are more vulnerable that won't be able to drive that process. But again, having someone advocate and look out for you is a is a really great thing, particularly in today's world. Absolutely. Not always yeah. the friendly place. Who doesn't want an advocate, right? <laughs> Who doesn't exactly. want someone to look out for them and, and help them? Yeah. Well, good job. Hey, you were awesome. So I didn't, I didn't like kick you too hard today on these questions and you were all worried. I think it was a fair trade. I think it was. I, you know what? Maybe we'll have to do this again. We'll just keep this thing going. We'll keep, we'll keep jumping back and forth on, on our podcasts. Absolutely. Anytime. Well, this is probably a good place for us to put a pin in it today, Stephen. I'm extremely grateful for you taking the time and, and reciprocating by being on Healthcare Soothsayers podcast. Thank you. Of course. It's been a blast. I loved it. And, and thanks for having me. I look forward to hopefully seeing you at an in-person event soon now that these are starting to come back. Absolutely. We'll have to find someplace in Austin that we can uh, connect together and maybe over a uh, cold adult beverage. Perfect. And be sure to check out the show notes for this show to find Stephen's contact information and to learn more about his work. Thanks so much for listening to Healthcare Soothsayers. I really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share it with your network. That is how we grow and learn. If you have ideas for show topics or guests, please reach out to me directly at ThoughtLeaderRN on Twitter. For information about this show or any of the others, in the Touchpoint Media Network, please check them out at touchpoint.health.